0: Welcome to the ARPA Animal Shelter of the Week podcast, where we introduce you to incredible organizations around the country that are focused on helping animals. We're proud to be sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's
1: meet this week's featured animal shelter.
0: Homeward Pet Adoption Center is one of Washington State's leading nonprofit no-kill animal shelters. Located in Woodinville and serving the greater Seattle area, the shelter helps homeless animals from all over the state find new loving and caring homes. Since their founding in 1990, more than 31,000 animals have been given a second chance through rescue, shelter, and adoption programs. Homeward Pet relies on the hard work of volunteers and the generous support of donors to help approximately 2,000 dogs and cats find their forever homes each year. Hi, Jim, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Of course. We're really excited to have you guys and, and learn a little bit more about Homeward Pet and uh, what you guys do. So why don't we start with the history of your organization. Tell us a little bit about how you got started and, and maybe what your mission is.
1: Well, Homeward Pet started, we're actually coming up on our 29th anniversary in February. So have been doing adoptions and rescue and sheltering uh, in the Seattle area for about 29 years. Um, started really in 1990 with one, one person. Her name was Peggy Barnish. And she, at that time, which I think was a pretty revolutionary idea for 1990, although you hear a lot more about it now, started with the idea that there could be a shelter where euthanasia was an absolute last resort. And I don't even know if no kill was a term then, uh, but that was her mission when she started this organization. And we have stuck to that for the past coming up on 29 years uh, that we really um have a a mission based uh, shelter that is dedicated to pro- trying to provide everything we can for the animals in our care to to uh, care for them while they're here and then find them homes
0: wow I, I mean what else do I say to that 29 years that's it's pretty incredible you know whether you're talking about a, a rescue or a a shelter um and so tell us a little bit about what is the mission what are you what are you guys? What's the
1: goal? So, I, I mean, I, it's funny because I think the mission or the process by which we, we work has changed in just the time I've been here. I've been with the organization for about nine and a half years of that 29. Uh, there are other staff and volunteers who've been here almost that whole time, which totally boggles my mind. We've had volunteers stick with us for 20 and 25 years, which is amazing. Um, the The mission really actually, we just redid our mission statement, and I think it makes I think it sums up nicely what we do here now and our mission statement currently is our mission is to transform the lives of homeless cats and dogs through compassionate medical care positive behavior training and successful adoption while building a more humane community and I think it's important to us that we act on all those fronts as we care for our animals so uh, I, you know I think we we provide outstanding medical care to our animals we've got funds set up just to be able to provide extraordinary medical care to our animals um, we have a, a certified behaviorist on staff and we have in the past few years established behavior programs for our cats and dogs and uh, we do uh, we practice open adoptions here uh, we have a full adoption counseling staff that provides one-on-one uh, the very intensive hands-on experience for our potential adopters when they come to visit us, and we want to be really uh, integrated in the community here. Uh, we're we're located in Woodinville, which is a on the east side of Lake Washington, about 25 minutes outside of Seattle, and we want to be part of the Northwest community, but more so, we really want to be a a Woodinville institution and and become one of those one of those businesses that uh, that supports everything that's going on in Woodinville.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned volunteers that have been with you for for 20 and 25 years. Um that is an incredible. Uh, you know, you you often hear that people volunteer for a short period of time and then they move on, right? It, it's a right. period in their life. Um and it really sounds like you guys have embedded yourself in the community. Um and you have the dedication from from that, right? From the community and from the individuals itself. Um you know, I'm curious, normally I put stories at the end to kind of wrap things up, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm intrigued with people who have been around for that long. And so in your nine years, do you have a, and normally we talk about animal stories, right? I'm, right. I'm, I want to prompt you a little bit on mm-hmm. a volunteer story. Do you have a favorite?
1: Well, I mean, I, I mean, the first person that comes to mind when we talk about volunteers here is a woman named Carolyn Brookhart. She is a volunteer on the cat care side at Homeward Pet, and she comes in three times a week at a minimum, six hours every time she's in, uh, to socialize the cats. She is just so giving of her time and really her I think her skills. I think she's she's one of those people who just kind of gets it with cats. But then we've also been able to provide her some additional training to be able to socialize those, you know, those shy cats or those on the other end of the spectrum, what we would call spicy cats. Um, so she's in here, you know, three times a week. I think she put in about 800 volunteer hours last year, which is just incredible. And that is not completely uncommon here that we've got people that are putting in, um, you know, five, six, 700, 800 volunteer hours in the course of of a year. Um, We are, you know, we're currently going through uh, work with Best Friends Animal Society to become a service enterprise as a volunteer organization. It's something we take very seriously, the integration of volunteers into, the, uh, into the, how the shelter operates. Uh, we wanna make sure that they are part of our organizational structure, that it really is not just an add-on to how we do the work we do, but that volunteers are absolutely integrated into what we do on the same level as staff members. Uh, So this service enterprise thing is is actually really exciting for us, and and really we're going through the training now. We're putting together an action plan and hoping in the next year that we can really ratchet it up another notch to be able to uh, bring in new volunteers in new positions, establish new recognition programs, and be able to continue the, the momentum we've got with the volunteering we've received from this community.
0: Yeah, that's really really exciting. Um I'm really excited for you guys and I can hear the the enthusiasm, uh, you know, as you talk about it. So I'm really I we'll, we'll stay tuned for that, right? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely want to know what that looks like.
1: Honestly, it blows my mind when I come in. I mean, we, I so I've been, this is the second location I've been in with this organization and it's about twice the size of our previous location uh, prior to the location we're in now. We were always just kind of I guess squatters in somebody else's building sure. and just taking whatever rooms that they would allow us to have and making those work and doing things like, um, you know, there's one uh, one location that we had that I always like to talk about with the staff member who was there at the time where it was one room, dog kennels set around in a U shape you know, on, the, on all the walls and the cat kennels were set on top of the dog kennels. And I'm wow. like, whoa, I don't know how that works. Uh, yeah. But moving into this, this uh, new location, uh, we're a lot more centrally located in Woodenville, and our volunteer support has gone from about 100 volunteers a week coming in to help us care for the dogs and cats to, at this point, we have about 450 volunteers coming in on a weekly basis. To help us provide care to the animals to to work in the clinic to do reception duties to do administrative tasks and it's amazing watching those people help us do the work we do
0: yeah so i'm curious right that the the growth is is so enormous um give us tell us a little bit about the community what how big is woodenville and so we can relate, right? 400, 450 volunteers to how big is the community?
1: East side, uh, the, the suburbs on the east side of Seattle, on the east side of Lake Washington, when we refer to the east side. I mean, the the cities, the suburbs are very, there's really overlap almost in the in the city lines. So from Redmond, which is the, the headquarters of Microsoft, and we get a lot of volunteers from Microsoft to, uh, you know, to Bellevue, up to Woodenville, to Bothell. Those are all suburbs okay. of Seattle that are, you know, really kind of interconnected. And so we draw from all those areas to to bring in volunteers here.
0: All right. So it is a fairly large area. It is. Um, okay. So that, I mean, that's good, right? So when we talk about volunteers, right, a large area like that, I, d- I definitely think that helps people Put into perspective right The size because we think 450 volunteers for one shelter that's a that's a lot of people to shuffle them around and yep. every day right and all the activities that happen right but when you think about the size of that you know in comparison to the 450 i think that makes a little bit more sense
1: we are in one of in, in a position we find ourselves in a lot where we have those kind of good problems to have we do uh volunteer orientation twice every month so we just invite folks in who might be interested in volunteering and just talk to them about the organization and what volunteer roles we have available um on a typical month we probably have 40 to 50 people showing up for those orientations interested in participating in what we do somehow um the 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 good problem that we have is we probably only have about maybe 20 volunteers who need to leave to continue on with their lives, go back to school, start sure. a new job, all those reasons that people can't continuing volunteering. Yeah. Only about twenty of those every month. So we're, you know, we're always looking to expand where we can have new volunteers join us, but but really sometimes we just don't have the amount of space or the jobs to do for the volunteers who are interested.
0: I wanna continue down the path of the community. Um and so I know you're in a in a fairly large area what challenges are out in, in the community, right? Whether it's in Woodenville or, you know, in the larger area, what challenges do you guys see outside of the organization that you're trying to help
1: with? Well, I, I mean, I think the main challenge is being able to provide for animals who otherwise might end up in the shelter system. I mean, a lot of our community engagement is working with uh, underserved populations who might be who might benefit from programs that we can put in place. Um, so we have a low cost spay and neuter clinic that we do every week. So where we're able to provide affordable surgeries for folks who otherwise m- might not be able to get their their own pet spayed or neutered. Uh, we do discount microchipping here uh, every Tuesday. Folks can just bring in their animal, and for twenty bucks, we will uh, implant and register a microchip because we are big believers in pets having that best form of ID that they can have. Uh, We run a program that we were able to start when we moved into this facility, because it's bigger and it has more storage and more capacity. We started the Homeward Pet Food Bank when we moved in here. And that is a program where we partner with retailers, mostly pet food retailers, Uh, in the community, and we're up to about 30 different partners at this point. We collect pet food and other supplies at those locations. It all gets brought back to the shelter. We have volunteers who work on the Homeward Pet Food Bank who sort through all those donations, and then we are able to send it back out and support at currently about 15 different Food banks and community organizations in, uh, you know, in our broad area from north to south uh, to be able to, to give people some pet food or some supplies that's just enough for them to be able to get to that next paycheck or that next job and just be able to keep uh, keep continuing the care of their animal in their home. Uh, you know, it's, it's. I always talk, when I do orientations for volunteers, I always talk about us being in the business that would prefer to be out of business. If we <laughs> could supply enough for people to be able to keep their homes and no animals ended up getting surrendered or, or ending up homeless, I mean, I'd be looking for another job, which would be okay, but all these animals would have homes. So that's what we've dedicated a lot of our community services to is how can we help animals stay in homes. And we actually just last week started another new program for the public and we we have a certified behaviorist on staff and she is now offering behavior advice to folks in the public so they can just contact her and get some advice about how they may be able to better care for their animal or or take on an issue that might otherwise cause that animal to end up in the shelters.
0: Yeah, those are standard programs, right? And they're all necessary. And the communities appreciate that and so let's let's spend a little bit of time here because I think there's more to this and one of the things that that we often hear is shelters and they, they really want to start these programs but sometimes the hardest part is getting them started Right. Um. and so do you have any advice for other shelters that that might be out there who are really looking at doing this and they want to be successful what background can you give them what steps can they take to get started and where can they learn for maybe your missteps
1: so well i saw let's take the Homer pet food bank for instance i mean it it started as just a one-off food drive where we were able to to focus our efforts on a holiday pet food drive and just said during the holiday season we're going to reach out to a couple different retailers in the area and see if they'll put up a sign and and let us put a barrel in their place and just see if we can collect some food that will help our animals in the shelter. And it it's amazing how quickly those things gather momentum. And we started modestly by just doing it with, you know, I go to, I have three dogs and two cats. So I am in my local pet store all the time. So it's easy to walk up to the counter because I know their faces and I know the folks who work there and they know where I work. It was easy just to walk up and say, hey, we're thinking about just, you know, being able to do a holiday pet food drive for the next three weeks. Would you guys consider putting a barrel in and we will promote you on our website and through social media and you can put up a sign in the store and it'll be mutually beneficial. We'll send people to you and you can collect for us and when we moved into our new space we were able to then to have the space to expand it um people were willing to then then it's just a matter of okay you've got the barrel for december would you be willing to keep it up for january and february and march and it quickly grew to be a year-round program but i think it really just needs to be that first step and i think it's it was surprising to us how quickly People were on board from the retailers to the volunteers who wanted to do the legwork to keep the programs running uh, to getting staff members who wanted to head up the, the organization of the program here at the shelter. It, it really went quickly from being a one off donation drive to, hey, you know, we could do this all the time with the support we're getting.
0: You know, I do think you know when you start new programs, I, it does start with the community and the volunteers, right? I think those are two big key pieces, and you know, one of the things that that we often see is that without the volunteers, there is no community, right? right. So you need to get the volunteers. Now, you guys have been around for you said almost twenty nine years, right. um, and so I know that initially th- there was quite some time, I believe, when you guys first got started that you didn't even have a location, so everything was reliant. On volunteers and foster homes, um, and so I want to kind of talk a little bit about foster homes because that's also community driven and again tied to volunteers. Do you guys have a foster program, and how does that work?
1: We do. I, I would say our foster program is fairly focused, and maybe it, it probably the next thing that we're going to tackle to to improve and um, and make bigger. Um, currently, our foster program works with cats and dogs and primarily on a couple of issues. So we do we end up with a lot of kittens here during kitten season obviously. Um, probably take in and care for uh, you know over 500 kittens a year who are coming in not weighing enough to be able to be spayed or neutered. Uh, so we spay or neuter at 2 pounds, which is, you know, maybe 10 weeks of age. Uh, so when we bring in those kittens who are anywhere under 10 weeks from bottle babies, and we have a, a pretty great bottle baby program that we that we have with training and, and support with supplies uh, through any other litters of kittens that come in, that's probably the primary focus of our fostering right now is taking care of all those kittens who need that, that time just to grow bigger and stronger and get healthy enough to be able to come in to get the vet care they need to be able to be uh, available for adoption. Um, The rest of the fostering we do is kind of based on a case-by-case basis. So when we have animals who are post-surgery and need a recovery, we've actually got a a little hound mix named Sky who is going in tomorrow for a a consultation with an orthopedic surgeon and will more than likely need a, a torn ACL repaired. And we'll be able to do that and send her out to a foster home immediately so that she can recover in a quieter space and have a little better monitoring than we may be able to provide at the shelter. So we do a lot of, of post surgery rehab sort of fostering, especially on the dog side, because uh, you know the shelter can be a really quiet or really chaotic environment for animals. So I think rehab is always yeah. always benefits from being able to do it in a quieter space with a little more hands on monitoring of those animals. Um, we also sometimes will foster animals for behavioral issues and often it's just not necessarily a specific issue but we might just feel like we don't have a good read on an animal i think one of the things that we have discovered is that we have a crazy space a shelter is a crazy space for an animal to be in it is not a normal living situation by any stretch so a lot of our efforts are geared towards how can we find out more about this animal and how they behave in a normal environment so that then we can communicate that to potential adopters and they can be a little more confident that the behavior they may see in the shelter is not necessarily the behavior that they're going to see from this animal in their home so um, we send a lot of dogs out on the days we're closed to the public our adoption week is wednesday through sunday so monday and tuesday we'll send animals out what we call kennel breaks, and foster families just show up on Sunday night to say, I'll take a dog, and we send them out for two days, and we get a whole lot more information about how that animal does in a normal home environment. That is huge for us to have a to have them come back, have the foster fill out a foster diary that's very detailed about what they did and what the animal knew and how they behaved in the home to give us more confidence to be able to place them in their next home. Um, and then we have a kind of limited hospice program as well. So we've got fosters who are definitely just mostly interested in helping us provide hospice care to to animals who just need the the quality care at the end of life.
0: Yeah, and that's when we don't we don't see a whole lot is is the hospice care aspect. Um, and so there's a couple things in there actually I want to talk oh. about a little bit more. Um, I think it's pretty unique for you guys uh, that you do a Sunday to Tuesday right, like a temporary foster right, uh, to pull more information from that. So uh, that along with your other programs, how many days is the average stay for an animal that comes to you before finding their forever home? Do you have numbers on that?
1: Yeah. So our average length of stay, and it's almost identical for cats and dogs here, our average length of stay is about 10 and a half days
0: okay.
1: from from intake through adoption. So uh, the, the, when an animal arrives, we have our our vet, Team is, we have two vets on staff, along with a clinic manager and a vet tech, and then, of course, volunteers who help out as clinic assistants. Uh, so, any animal that comes in, first thing we do is an intake exam where one of those vets is going nose to tail and, you know, checking out eyes, ears, nose, and listening to heart and lungs and doing range of motion tests. Um, then every animal gets microchipped and spayed or neutered and brought current on vaccines and dewormed and flea control. And then when they're through all that medical care, and there's a lot of other things that we might find along the way, we we end up doing a lot of dentals here because that's something tough for, for folks to keep up with sometimes, uh, then every animal is behavior assessed. And then we take all that information, medical and behavior assessments, and the interactions that volunteers and staff members have had with that animal, cat or dog, and post them online to be available for adoption. Uh, so really, the, I mean, if they speed through that whole intake process, it's probably three or four days before they're even available for adoption, and then that that feeds into the average length of stay being ten and a half days. So really, the first part is really just the intake portion of it and they're probably available on day 4 or 5 or 6.
0: Wow, that really says a lot about your community, right? How they rally around you and and I'm sure there's a lot of social media and sharing and yep. and different things that that go into that. Now, you do adoptions you said Wednesday through Saturday? Through Sunday. Through s- Wednesday through Sunday. So are those okay. your those are the hours and the or the days that you're open?
1: Those are the hours that we're open for potential adopters to come through and, and see and meet our animals.
0: Okay, and so do you guys have regular set hours then? And what are those? What are those hours for the listeners?
1: The adoption hours are Wednesday through Sunday, noon to six. And you know, we we do adoptions a little differently than some other organizations. We actually have a staff of eleven folks who are adoption counselors. So when potential adopters come to visit us, they fill out a really brief application. Basically, our application says, "Who are you?" And probably two thirds of the one-page application that we have people fill out is, "What are you looking for? How can we help you? What's the What's the animal that brought you into our facility today? Um, you know, that dream animal, and how can we How can we help you find that animal? Um, so. That's kind of the the adoption days are filled with that. From noon to six, folks are coming in, they're getting paired up with one of our adoption counselors who then guide them through the entire rest of the process, talking to them about the animals they're interested in, other animals that we know that might be a good fit for them based on the conversation we're having with them about what they're kind of looking for and maybe what a, what a deal breaker is. Um, and then um, hope, hopefully helping them find a great animal. Uh, the... the staff who is not doing adoptions is here uh pretty much seven days a week there are people here from nine in the morning probably eight thirty in the morning till nine at night
0: wow so you guys really do everything from start to finish uh you know it sounds like you're very hands-on which you're right that 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 is a little it's a little different right a little yeah. unique but i think that's something that probably draws the another another piece right that draws the community to you guys and i think that's you know that's really really cool so I'm super impressed with the process and your dedication to the community and and the dedication of the volunteers uh, to your organization again I, I'm fascinated by that.
1: yeah I mean one of the first one of the first things I did when I started working here was realize that coming from a totally different background and I did crazy career change to start working in animal welfare um, was realizing how much I did not know about animal welfare or how shelters worked and went to a couple national conferences you know pretty early on in my time here and it was just an an ear opener and an eye opener to go hear other people at other shelters talk and uh at the first conference i went to heard someone talk about open adoptions which i think was just i mean mostly a catchphrase at that point you know eight or nine years ago and came back and was so energized, immediately started modeling our adoption process on what I heard in that seminar and and maybe even going a little further to to really try to remove barriers from adoption uh, and and have a conversation with people and figure out what's going to work. I mean, I always tell our adoption counselors when they start here that, once somebody has come in the door, once they've opened the door of Homeward Pet and entered our facility, they've already decided they can have an animal. They already have thought about it and decided I can make room in my life for an animal. I want that experience. I want to take care of that animal. I want a new friend, a new family member. So our job is not yes or no. Our job is never yes or no, you can or you can't adopt. Our job is let us help you find the right one. You've already said yes, so let us help you find the right animal.
0: I love that jim that's a that's a great statement a great attitude to have and i'm sure everybody that walks through your door definitely appreciates that uh you know the yes or no kind of means that you're answering that question for them right and to your point it's all about choosing they've chosen right to open their life up i think that's you know i think that's great and that's something hopefully that people can take away from this um you know in their own in their own life whether it's rescue shelter or otherwise yeah and
1: i you know for for me it's really just all about the conversation that we're having with folks and you know what i firmly believe is that if we are totally honest with them they're going to be honest back with us and you know we we're you know from the moment they arrive we want to put on an attitude that shows we're going to be really helpful so that's kind of how the 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 process then works is that once we've established, we're here to help you find that animal that brought you to the shelter uh, today. And, and they're really open and honest with us. And that's, that's, I think, the most important thing for us is that we just have a really honest exchange. Because once we do that, then it opens up a whole other world of potential adoptions, right? I mean, for us, I wouldn't be opposed to putting a, a really energetic dog in an apartment. Whereas I know that makes some people nervous, but to me, it's all about having that conversation with, with people. What's your plan? Like, that's a great question to ask people like, really, you want this dog in that apartment? Yeah. Okay. What's your plan? How are you going to exercise this animal enough to be able to be a good, good animal to have in your apartment? Um, but it's, it's really boils down to us, to that, that conversation we're having and, and just exploring what people are, what their experience has been, uh, what they're able to do, and what you know, what they're looking for, and what what won't work for them is is probably just as important as what will, because that that kind of just helps define which animals that we have in the shelter that are going to be good good candidates for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you do find that people are are open to having those conversations.
1: Absolutely. Oh absolutely. And uh, you know, there are some really there are some difficult conversations, you know, I think having the conversation with, you know, a senior citizen about having a backup plan for the animal they're about to adopt is a tough conversation. But if you establish that we're here to help you and this is something that will help you and the animal, then people are open to it.
0: Yeah. I think those are conversations a lot of people do shy away from. So I think it's great that you have, you know, adoption counselors available and who are open to having those difficult discussions because not everybody is that right fit. Right? right. So it sounds like you guys have a great team. They're all aware of the questions and the the situations and the different scenarios. And so, again, a- another cool piece, I think, to what you guys are doing and, and how you've built your team around that. Do you guys have anything planned for 2019? Any special events? Anything coming up uh, that you maybe want to share with the listeners?
1: Well, coming up on 29th anniversary, so that's always a big, big one for us. We always celebrate our anniversary in February. So in February, we will be having a, a whole lot of adoption events, as well as fun drives, and and really just trying to, to you know, to capture people's attention a little more than we have been around 29 years. It amazes me as well. And and honestly, we're still finding people who are finding us. So that's something we never want to let down, that we're continually talking about, you know, adoptions and adopting animals and finding a new a new family member through adoption. Uh, so February will be a big charge for that because I I think that's 29 years is, is something we can really hang our hat on and, and talk to people about. Um, we do our biggest fundraising event every year is our furball auction and dinner. Uh, that will happen in May of next year. And that's our big auction and, and dinner for about 500 people that we have at our, our event every year um, and raise, you know, hoping to raise about $500,000 this year at that event in May.
0: That that sounds like an undertaking uh, for sure, especially since there's only three months between February and and May. You guys definitely have your hands full uh, the first half of 2019. So I'm just going to wish you good luck (laughs) up (laughs) front before I forget. Um, But it definitely sounds incredible. And so the one in May, you guys, it sounds like you do an annual event for that, you said, right? Right. Okay, and do you put all that information on your website? Do people yes. follow you on Facebook? Tell us where they can find more information.
1: So homewardpet.org, it is singular, homewardpet.org. Uh, all the information about the shelter and specifically when we get a little closer to those events will be up on the website. Uh, prominently featured, I'm sure, as the holiday pet food drive is right now on our website. So folks could find out more about that right now. And then the uh, the anniversary, uh, Events will probably go up in mid January, and and probably really shortly after that, we'll begin promoting the furball auction and dinner. It does happen. It seems like it happens right on top of each other.
0: Yeah, I can imagine two two pretty big events. And yes, I agree. Twenty nine years is definitely something special, and and I hope you guys get a good turnout for that, and the community really rallies around you.
1: I I I mean, we've been doing a big blowout event for our anniversary since anniversary number twenty two, which was the first year i was here or shortly after um and and had huge adoption events as we hit those those special anniversaries it just is i think it just provides people another reason to share with their friends who might not have heard of us before and it just gathers some great momentum throughout the month
0: yeah i i definitely think that's great um so i've really enjoyed my my time talking with you jim so before we wrap things up i always like to ask about that very special animal story um, in your time uh, in animal welfare uh, in general, do you have a favorite story um, either one of your own personally or one at the the shelter that you want to share?
1: Two that come to mind right away um, you know I think one of one of the main learning lessons for me since I started working in animal welfare and working at homeward pet was realizing that we are in spite of all our all we're, that we're helping animals with, you know, with our the great medical care we provide, we've got behavior teams that provide daily training sessions to our dogs and our cats. Uh, we really have tried to set ourselves up to be able to provide a really extensive uh, opportunities for our animals. Um, but I think the 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 thing that really broke through to me at a certain point was, in spite of all that, we are not going to be the right shelter for every animal. And there are animals that may do better in other shelters that have other setups or other priorities or other things they can provide or a foster network or something like that. So that was really important. And there was an animal that we had, a dog named Eric Estrada, who was struggling at this shelter in spite of everything we were able to provide for him here. And I know this sounds sort of counterintuitive, that the best thing we were able to provide him was through Best Friends, partner with a shelter uh, all-breed rescue and training in in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And one Saturday afternoon, we put Eric in a car and we drove him in a day and a half to Colorado Springs and were able to find a successful home for him there through their training and their foster network, which was outstanding. Um, and, and I think that's a lesson that I learned that just You know, we we need to be part of something that is bigger than us all the time and be open to working with other local shelters and even other shelters nationally. You never know where that perfect resource for that animal is going to come from. and be open to those opportunities. Um, I mean, the the other one that came to mind when you said that is a dog that we're working with right now. Uh, His name is Matt. He is about a two-year-old Samoyed. Uh, He arrived at the shelter about two months ago as probably, and not even probably, he was the most shut down dog I have ever seen upon arrival at the shelter and spent the first week with his head just in the corner of his kennel and not wanting to get up, not wanting to interact with anybody, I mean, to the point where he was, you know, urinating on himself and not even standing up to to move somewhere else. And I was so proud of the organization and so proud of our behavior uh, animal behavior manager. Her name's Jenny Black, and she just saw it as a challenge. I am going to to win over this dog. And it was a baby step at a time. You know, she would start by just taking her laptop into our isolation room where where Matt was housed and just doing her work in there and sitting sideways and not expecting anything of him, not challenging him with anything and just if he would take a cheese treat by the end of her eight hours sitting in his in his isolation room, that's great. And she just every day would spend time and it was just about spending time and then it became about okay now we're gonna go out for walks and I don't think Matt had ever seen a leash before let alone walked on one and she just step by step has won this dog over to the point where fingers crossed we've got a, a couple coming in this afternoon to meet with Matt to bring their dog in to meet with Matt to go over the training that we have provided Matt so they can continue that at home and hopefully Matt's gonna gonna find his new home this afternoon Afternoon. that's the hope anyways
0: yeah that's a beautiful story yeah you you don't know we never know their backgrounds I shouldn't say never it's it's very uncommon for us to know the background right of a lot of these animals right emotionally challenged animals and to to take the time and the patience uh, as Jenny did or has been and is doing yeah it, it speaks volumes about people in general right it almost restores your faith in humanity with all the craziness going around. And so I think that's a beautiful story and I'm glad you guys were able to make progress.
1: Thanks, I mean, it's definitely one of the things that I recognize about this shelter that is one of the great benefits of of the support we've gotten from the community here is the tremendous support we've got from the community, from volunteering, from donations, has allowed us to set up those kind of programs where we can take in an animal that we can spend Two months just to get to the point where he is comfortable engaging with people. Um, you know that it's 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 a you know I I completely recognize that we are in such a unique situation because of of where we are and the the time that we've we've been here and the support we get from the community that we're able to do those sorts of things and really take the time to to provide every animal what's what's going to work for them
0: you've said it all, right? I, I feel like great stories. I love your partnership with the community. I love the support that you get from the volunteers and also how you support the volunteers. I think it's such a mutual relationship that you've built. And I think that is absolutely fabulous. And I hope other organizations out there can learn from this and listen and, and kind of take that into their own community and, and do their own thing. But knowing that community and volunteers are are such a huge part of that, I think is is incredible and working together to find the right place for the right animal it might not always be your organization but working together as a team with other organizations rescues and shelters out there i think is is paramount i think it's huge and and hopefully you know as as we move forward people start to see that more and more it's not about us it's about the animals and finding the right place for them.
1: Exactly, I think there's there's rarely a week that goes by, well, there's certainly not a week that goes by where we aren't talking to the other shelters in our area. Um, but there's probably not a week goes by that we aren't transporting between the shelters in our areas. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of getting different set of potential adopters to see that animal to get them to get a new picture on a new website or a new social media campaign going or uh, a new set of potential adopters to see that animal and it you know that's it's really important that we be open to providing those opportunities and we we you know move animals from our shelter to others and from others to our shelter with regularity just to so we can provide those opportunities
0: so before we before we wrap things up, Jim, is there anything else you want to share with the audience uh, that we maybe didn't touch on yet?
1: i mean, i I guess I mean, one of the things that we recognized, and you know, the Northwest is a really progressive, great place for animals. Uh, and so a lot of the shelters are 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 f- probably in the same position. I think when I started here a while back, we we were seeing animals that had potentially less issues than we do now. I think as more animals have found homes, then we recognized, you know, five or six years ago that we really needed to to set ourselves up to be able to take on tougher cases. Um, So that's kind of when we started all of our behavior teams and have grown those over the years. So we started with our dog behavior team and we pulled from our most experienced volunteers and, you know, overseen by an animal behavior manager, those people are providing now daily training sessions to Probably uh, at least twelve or fifteen dogs a week that we have in the shelter, so they are getting uh, that experience of, of training as well as just spending one-on-one time with somebody, which is so important. Um, so I think our the behavior programs that we've set up have been really vital to the to the work we're doing. As we see sometimes more challenging animals come through the shelter system, we also just about a year and a half ago, maybe two years, started our cat behavior team. So took our our most advanced cat volunteers and had them work with our animal behavior manager on clicker training our cats. So we are actually doing clicker training with a number of cats every week. And if they learn to sit on command or, or high five, which we have gotten them to do, that's great. If they don't learn those things, that's still great because the, the really at the heart of it, it means that that those animals got to spend some really quality one on one time with somebody and and engage with those people so that they can then better engage with potential adopters coming through. And then in addition to our behavior programs, we also have kennel enrichment programs that we do, um, recognizing that that you know the shelter is a stressful place and and the way animals are housed in shelters is stressful. So our kennel enrichment programs really designed. provide a different experience for our animals on a daily basis. So we spray different scents in the the available animals rooms and we play different music every day and we let them eat out of pizza boxes and egg cartons so they can get back to their, you know, wild dog roots and tear up something to get the kibble inside. And we provide extra playtime for certain animals who might benefit from getting a little more of that energy drained out of their systems and actually just started our cat kennel enrichment program, which will provide extra uh, exercise opportunities, extra enrichment through things like, um, you know, setting up lava lamps in the room so they can watch the lava lamps go up and down, blowing bubbles in the cat room, uh, giving them different sorts of toys and changing those toys every day that they get to play with. So really excited about those programs because I think we have seen this the benefit of those just pay off time and time again for our animals. And then I think the the last program that I think we have that has really changed how we operate and the success that we're able to have is our adopter support program. Um, so reaching out to our adopters after adoption. Uh, we, we call within a week of adoption just to make sure everything's going okay, see if they have any questions or concerns. We get in touch with them after 30 days, after 90 days, and we also have set up separate phone line and email for them to contact us that kind of gets them, you know, the, the first in line to, to get responded to with whatever concern they might be having. And that has just helped us keep our, our adoptions successful and keep people informed about animal care. And I, that's, that's another one that I'm really proud of, that we're able to kind of continue to support people after they adopt
0: everything you guys are doing is start to finish right Right. Um, from the moment the animal comes in through the assessment process through the enrichment and behavioral programs and then all the way through the adoption with staying in touch with them Um, again I'm just really impressed with the programs that you guys have and and how you've been able to keep innovating the normal everyday pieces, right? right? I feel like every organization; those are those are key pieces. But you guys seem to step up each one of those and get better year over year, and and that's really difficult to do. Um, that's not an easy feat. What you know, what you guys have been able to accomplish,
1: right? But I think it goes back to where we started this whole conversation, which is just the support that we get in the community. Um, you know, we we get incredible amounts of donations here to the to the point where we're able to take care of the homeless animals that come through the shelter in addition to running the homeward food bank to help about you know at this point we believe we're helping about 1100 families a week with pet food and supplies so it's that kind of support that then allows us to to think about those those sorts of programs then that could be a little bigger a little broader and provide a little better for our animals
0: you know, I don't think there's anything else I can add to this. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I feel really proud for you guys, right? Really, really happy from what you've accomplished in, in 29 years. And, you know, it's, I, I I really don't know what else to say. So I know there's a lot more information out on your website. And yep. I know you guys have a ton of resources for people Yes, um, and you guys are very active on social media. So the only thing that I can that I can say to end this would be for people to reach out and support you guys. Continue supporting. Make sure they follow you on social media. Attend your events, and I only wish the best for you. And, and I hope the growth continues uh, for you guys. You're doing amazing things.
1: Thank you, Rachel. I, re- I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with DoBert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.